Welcome to the Spirit Sisters podcast. My name is Karina Machado and I'm the author of Spirit Sisters, Women's True Stories of the Paranormal. In this podcast, I'll revisit the women behind my most unforgettable stories and unearth new tales to chill, intrigue, astound and offer hope. You'll hear first-hand accounts of ghostly visitors, near-death experiences, premonitions, hauntings and love more powerful than death. Whatever you believe about the afterlife, I invite you to open your minds and hearts as ordinary women reveal their extraordinary encounters. Hi everyone, Happy New Year and welcome to the summer holiday edition of Spirit Sisters. I'm taking a short break and we'll be back very soon to share a wonderful conversation with someone extraordinarily gifted and just a beautiful all-round soul, which I know you're going to love. So hang out for that. I'm also planning the recording schedule for the new year and corresponding with lots of incredible people and I just can't wait to bring you those conversations. On that note... If you have a story to share, please get in touch with me via email or via direct message on my Facebook page. The link is below in the show notes. I'm always so excited to think of all the amazing untold stories that are out there. In the meantime, speaking of amazing stories, I have a treat for you. I'm going to read out a letter I received when I was researching my book Spirit Sisters back in 2008. The letter is about a near-death experience, although the writer refers to it as an OBE or out-of-body experience. The label doesn't matter because what you're about to hear is a first-hand account of a profound and life-changing moment in the life of my correspondent, Sandra James. I should point out that prior to relating her memory of this amazing otherworldly encounter, she leads into it with an account of an earlier near-death experience that took place during surgery. Though less spectacular, this was also clearly important to the trajectory of Sandra's story, so I've included it in the telling. Her story, which is as tragic as it's beautiful, was published in Spirit Sisters under the title The View From There, and to this day, it's one of my all-time favourites. I've actually been looking for Sandra, as I'd just love to have her on the show, but I've had no luck finding her, sadly. So Sandra, if you're out there, please do get in touch. And if you're lucky enough to be enjoying some holiday downtime, check out the show notes as well, as I've included links to some of my favourite episodes of Spirit Sisters and also some of my favourite episodes of my previous podcast, The Ghost Files. I know that many of you really miss The Ghost Files, so I thought today that I'd rekindle that spooky spark by reminding you of some of the chilling and wonderful conversations I've enjoyed when I was hosting that show. As I'd often say back then, Get ready for goosebumps. There's no shortage of those either where Sandra's account of her NDE is concerned. Here is her letter, as posted to me back in 2008. Dear Karina, I heard you were interested in hearing from people with paranormal experiences for a future book. I hope others will write to you too, because mostly we don't tend to talk about our experiences to strangers. I certainly don't except to family, friends, and when I'm asked, to people who are dying or losing someone close to them. 
I have always been aware of having episodes which other people do not, and once I understood that I was the one who was different, I kept things to myself. Anyway, my experiences are usually only for my own benefit, and the warning only comes at the last minute when I can do nothing but act on pure instinct. It always begins by hearing someone call my name. When I listen for the second call, I can tell if it's a big thing by the intensity of the call. It does sound so much like a person calling that I have to look to make sure it is not, although now I don't have that problem and as I've said, it is usually only for my benefit and it has saved my life time and time again. Sometimes I will get a feeling of deja vu and at those times I know I must do the opposite thing to what I did before. I don't know why, but it always turns out for the best. I will tell of the NDE because so often, as in my case, the doctors try to tell us that it has somehow affected our brain and it is not a paranormal experience at all, despite the fact that I told them about what they were doing and saying during the time of my death. In the end, I suppose many would believe them, but I had too many other unexplainable things and simply kept quiet. I have indeed seen myself on the operating table and while I was above it, it would have been near the ceiling, as so many others have described, if there'd been a ceiling there at all, which there was not. But the only thing that matters to you is the overwhelming feeling of contentment. I would have been happier to have stayed where I was. That was my first thought when I woke up. Although when I was away, that is how I encompass the experiences, I didn't actually have thoughts. I knew where I was and what was happening, but I had no emotion about it, staying or going back, nor did I hear or see anyone say anything like it. I was simply content. I still saw myself as I physically was, except that where your body was is now an outline with nothing inside except being filled from head to toe with this amazing light. But I was still me, and that became important during my big away time. Up until then, I believed I had had my experiences of the afterlife. And while I would have been content to stay where I was that day, I accepted that I had yet to do the job I was meant to do. And it was enough for me then, even that small glimpse, and I counted myself lucky. Of course, life goes on, and both joy and hardship follow. And while I never forgot that experience, it became a part of me, like everything else. I came to take it for granted, until the next time, which would be classed an out-of-body experience. And it is this one that cannot be explained away. I was not near death. I was not sick. And what happened was not really to do with me at all. But I believe that because I am the way I am, I did not react the way I was supposed to. And there was no choice but to take me away. My husband and I were dairy farmers. And long story short, Wednesday the 14th of December 1983 at approximately 2pm, we were heading home from town. A long drive at the best of times, but this day my husband had been cleared by our doctor to go back to work. The kids and I had been doing all the work and Ray had to stay home for a whole week. To a workaholic, that's a lifetime. And it felt that way to me too. I was not happy that Ray had decided to have a facial skin cancer removed for an upcoming family wedding because no farmer in their right mind has surgery at such a busy time of the year. And we not only had cows to milk, we also had a large piggery with an upcoming contract with a big grocery store, which was harder to get then than a chook with teeth. It was a terrible time for Ray to be out of commission, and I have to say I was none too happy with him over it. I had a strong feeling for almost a year that I could not understand. I had heard the voice, as usual, but the message was like nothing I had had before. 
On the one hand, I believed it foretold of my impending death and that I should and did get my affairs in order. But Ray did not believe in such things and I would not have told him anyway. Being left alone with the kids would have scared him to death, plus the fact that how I felt was different to what I believed. And never before had there been such a time frame to one of my calls. I did what I could without Ray knowing to get things in order and I had made him take out life insurance and do a will years before when I'd done mine, so it wasn't too hard. On that Wednesday, we had all the meat we'd sent to be dressed for the large extended family that Ray had, and we had picked up a lot of the kids' Christmas gifts that we'd paid for and had kept, and the station wagon was full. I was so tired, but happy too, because Ray had kept two of the older kids home from school to help him, while I was to rest and then sort out the meat and wrap and store the presents. We passed through the gates, I think it was at Melangany, as we always did. We spent a few minutes talking to Digger, as we always did on the way home, but something was not the same. I had just realised that Ray had not turned the radio back on, but was talking instead. He was so happy to be going back to his animals, and I do admit to wishing he'd be quiet for a while. I had never felt so tired. Then it happened. Only this time, it was a shout, not the usual call. But despite the terror, I felt I just could not move. I had been resting with my head against the car door, and I was still in this position when I heard the voice. It was neither male nor female, but because it sounds so gentle and kind, I believe this is why people, especially children, refer to it as she. I can also see why we think of them as guardians or angels or both, and it's because they are not on the ground. And while they may not have wings, we see it that way to explain their ability to hover. She was outside my window, a silhouette of a form, as I had been that time in the hospital. And her voice was neither a command nor a request. She simply said, come. It's the most compelling word I have ever heard, but my need to warn Ray that something was very wrong was stronger. I realised then that the voice had always been in my head and that now there were no need for words. She knew what I wanted to do but would not allow it and as she said once more, come with me and reached out her hand, I went. I still wanted to look back and while my body did not move, I could indeed see. I saw myself and Ray and the car now a few feet away. Every detail was clear but nothing moved. Time stood still. When I took the next step, I was filled with the greatest joy I have ever known. My form filled with a light I knew would burn my eyes if I was still physical. And then I took the fourth and final step and this life and every memory of its existence was gone. It was to be the most profound experience of my life, and over time I have come to understand some of it, the significance of it. The whole sky was of the brilliant light. At first I thought it was coming from God, but little by little I realised it was God, his being. It is a contradiction, for everywhere there were people. The sounds of so many should have been deafening, it should have been crowded, but it was all of these things at the same time. And yet it was totally empty. But it was a part of the whole, myself, yet a part of everyone, and they a part of me. Then, when I looked at one particular spot, it became a park of sorts. The grass was so green, and there were so many children, laughing, 
playing, and as I looked from one place to the next, I could see other things, or another part of the place is as good as a description as I can manage. But it was the tiny children. Surely some could not have even been born. They were so tiny, but all of them were crawling over this huge lion. He was also in normal but intensified colours, and the behaviour of them all was so normal. The lion allowed the children to climb, to ride, to pull themselves upon him by his mane, and he yawned and licked his paws as if it were his own babies playing with him. In all my time there, the lion was the only one to be identified by gender because of his mane. When I looked up, people were walking and talking with each other, some on the ground but most above it, and I could join them if I wanted to with a thought. But I could also be alone and see any wonder I chose. Then I was with some people in a park at the top of a hill and I was put into a bubble of some kind, and as the light came in, it was tinted gold in colour, but it was the feeling of complete trust joy and contentment that has been the everlasting impression. Then I was rolling in this bubble down the hill and as I started to wake inside the car, I heard myself laughing. I don't know how long I was away, quote unquote, or how long it took me to realise that I was back. The after effects of the journey were not easily pushed aside, but slowly this life came into being again. I still could not move for some reason, but out of the corner of my eye I saw Ray sitting as he had been, both hands on the steering wheel, and I saw a little movement, but I was still stunned and believed he had had the same experience as I had. I said, can you believe what just happened? But when he didn't reply, I wasn't worried. I was still getting used to being back too. Finally, of course, I had to move, and I didn't understand why the creek should be in front of me when it should have been on my left. Then I realised we were on the little wooden bridge that ran over the creek and it was the car that was facing the wrong way again. I tried to move and felt pain. That woke me up quickly. I still didn't understand but I knew something was wrong. At first I thought the bridge had fallen into the creek because I was wet but I soon saw it was blood. I undid my seatbelt after pushing stuff off my lap and opened the car door. I couldn't move my legs for all the meat and broken glass on top of them. And then I saw Ray's side of the car and there was not one item on him or near him. I couldn't believe it and I let him know it. It finally got through to me that there was something odd about him. And when I really looked at him, I knew he was dead. I knew it, but I couldn't believe it. The movement I saw was the blood running down his shirt that made it look like a heartbeat. But while from my view he looked completely normal, I knew I'd have to go to his side of the car to be sure. What if I could help him? But I couldn't have. I must have wandered away after going back time after time to make sure that what I saw was real and I really could do nothing. Because the car was across the bridge, effectively cutting it in two. I was on one side of it when the ambulances came and Ray was on the other. Even this seemingly random event was to have huge consequences, but meant to be, of course. Benalbo is a very small town. The hospital did not even have an x-ray machine, and because I had walked away from the accident, it was assumed I was okay. And when asked, I said I felt nothing much, even though there was a lot of blood everywhere. Ray, on the other hand, was taken to Casino, the next town, and our doctor happened to be the one to be the first to see his body. He'd had no idea that it was Ray, 
someone he'd seen only a few hours before, and it was a shock to him. As I said, viewing Ray from his left side, as I did in the car, he looked normal. But the whole right side of his head and face were missing. A piece of wood from the bridge had broken off in the impact of the car, hitting it and bouncing around like a ping-pong ball. It was a million to one chance that everything would conspire for that exact thing to happen at that exact time. The police later told me that if I'd turned my head, even slightly, to the front or right, I would have died too. Nor did they have an explanation as to why all of the fully loaded station wagon's contents landed on me and my side of the car only. It was very difficult to talk with the police because I couldn't answer their questions without saying I didn't know if there were animals or other cars on the road that may have contributed to the accident because I wasn't there technically. So I had to say I'd been asleep and could not help them. They put it together in the end, but none of us will ever know exactly what happened. Our doctor said Ray could have blacked out for a minute due to all the excitement he felt. Maybe he just lost concentration for a second. It doesn't really matter because I had known for a long time that something was going to happen. And while it turned out not to be my death that I'd felt all that year, I was in fact close to death in another way. But I have no doubt that his death that day in that place was exactly the way it was supposed to be. I was not meant to warn him or die myself, although I do admit that during the first very hard year, I did envy him being the one who got to stay and I had to come back and do all the hard work. But I also know that when I get back there, it will seem like only a second after Ray has gotten there. There is no time there, and one other thing you get to know, almost the very second that you've taken that fourth step, and that is the knowledge of why to everything that ever was and ever will be. I know I still have that knowledge. I just don't remember what it is and no one will ever convince me that the place I was taken to was not heaven. And if it's not, then it will do me just fine. I also believe that we all go there. The bad, the good, everyone. I know we all have different experiences. Some see a tunnel or a light. Others see relatives and a host of other differences. But we all share the most important aspects. The feelings of complete joy. The knowledge of that peace and contentment. And the belief that the place is real. We are not supposed to know everything, and some of us are lucky to have been allowed to retain some memories, perhaps to help those we've talked to, perhaps to put us on a path we are supposed to be on. It doesn't matter. It is a fact. It happened, and nothing can change it. It does not matter if people believe me or not, but there is a reason I was chosen to remember, and if I have helped only one person face their death more confidently, then that is enough reason, or I think it is anyway. I will never say I'm 100% sure that I went to heaven. I'm human, and despite the evidence, there will always be that one little bit of doubt. But our experiences make up who we are or who we become, and we all have a job to do. Knowing all the answers only after we die seems to make no sense. But I have learned over time that everything has a reason, and faith is simply accepting and acknowledging this fact. If we do the best we can here, in this life, the next should be all it appears to be. Thank you for listening to Spirit Sisters, the podcast, based on my best-selling book of the same name. I really hope you enjoyed this episode and will join me again next time for another intriguing conversation exploring mysteries and marvels. In the meantime, please subscribe so that you won't miss an episode. I also welcome your feedback, so please message me through my website, karinamachado.com, or find me on Facebook at Karina Machado Author. 
Perhaps you have your own encounter to share. If so, I'd love to hear it. After all, there's nothing more powerful than a story. Thank you.